This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. pastors here and uh, we're looking at the book of Romans and last week we looked at politics. We looked at the way that um, Paul encourages the Roman church to engage with the state, with the Roman Empire. And this evening um, we're looking at more um, the way that Paul talks about Engagement with, uh, with the city, not so much by obeying uh, the laws of the city or the state, but simply by obeying the law of God. And what he's saying is, I want you to be like a city within a city where you're a group of people that are obeying a deeper law than Roman law, where you're actually obeying the law of God. So that's why he starts talking about the law here and uh, connects it to the idea of love. And so um, I want to look at, first of all, uh, the fact that um, that love is what it means to keep the law. Or in other words, uh, the Ten Commandments are a way of describing what love is like, is not doing those things. So I want to look at that first, uh, that the way we can love our city and our state the best as a church, as Christian people, is to keep God's law, to, to keep the Ten Commandments. And that might sound kind of prosaic or simple or not so exciting, but uh, that's the best way to love our city. If we could be a, a city within a city that does not commit adultery, that does not murder, that does not covet, that does not steal, that would be a great blessing to our city. So that's first. Uh, love is keeping God's law. Um, second is that love is the final reality. It is where everything is heading. And so uh, the city of Winston-Salem, the state of North Carolina, the government of the United States will one day be completely uh, subsumed under the rule of love itself, which is really good news, Uh, very good news in this time um, where there is still so much political uh, conflict and upheaval that we know that one day uh, there will be only one person who will rule the world and he himself is love. So... Those two things, love is keeping the law, and uh, love is the final reality. First of all, love is keeping the law. Uh, Look at verse 10. It says, uh, love is fulfilling the law. He means the Ten Commandments. This is very countercultural, very avant-garde, because when we think about the idea of love, we generally are talking about ourselves. So I would say, I love my wife, Margie. Um, And I could also, in the same... uh, sense of the word love, say I love my dog Ricky, or I love lasagna. You know, all of those things are in that same spectrum of the idea that those things make me happy, they add value to my, to my life. It doesn't mean that I am out there like 
protecting lasagna, um, making sure the lasagna's well-being is being looked out for, uh, that's not the way that the word love is being used there. So when we hear love in the Bible, we've got to be very careful about what Paul means there. And what he means is not so much um, ourselves and what I like and what makes me feel good and what makes me happy. Um, when he talks about love, he's talking about the community of people um, and what is best for the community, what, what lends itself to, to the flourishing of the city or the state. And what he says there in verse 9 is that is not having an affair, for instance, is a great way to love our city. Uh, to not murder someone, or as Jesus would say, to not be angry with someone in your heart is a great way to love our city. To not steal anything from anyone. If no one ever stole anything, you wouldn't have to have uh, passwords, passcodes on your phone, those endless passwords you all have to know, you know, the 1,700 passwords we all have to have. You wouldn't have to do any of that stuff. You wouldn't, you could leave your cars unlocked, your doors unlocked. That would be a great way to love the city if, if there was no stealing or if there was no coveting. Imagine that. Imagine uh, even your neighborhood where no one coveted anything. No one wanted anything too much. So love is not indulging yourself. It is sacrificing yourself for others. It's, it's like ruthlessly eliminating everything in yourself that harms others, that is harmful to others, is what love is. And so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not only am I telling you not to commit adultery, what I'm telling you is actually when Moses wrote that commandment, when God wrote that commandment and gave it to Moses, what he was really saying is, um, I don't even want you to lust after another human being. Lust is a way that is harmful to others. Pornography is deeply harmful to women. Deeply harmful. It is not a private sin. It has massive social consequences. When you lust, you're harming the city. Paul says in verse 13, I want no sexual immorality. I want no sensuality. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual intimacy outside of marriage. It's very simple. That's what the Bible means by the word porneia, sexual intimacy outside of marriage. That harms people. Sensuality, sensuality is sexual pleasure dominating your thought life. You're very sensual means I'm very aware uh, of sex all the time. It's on my mind. I can't live without it. It's a, it's a very American idea. I, I cannot live my life without having sex. That's what, that's what Americans really think. That's sensuality. And these are inner attitudes beneath the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. That commandment means all these other things about lust, sensuality, sexual immorality. They're all subsumed in that one commandment. And the same goes with do not murder. When God told Moses do not murder, he meant a lot more than don't murder someone. He meant don't be angry with someone in your heart. Don't murder someone in your heart. That's what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. I am telling you that what Moses always meant was don't be angry with anyone. The Westminster Larger Catechism expands on that idea. Uh, it says, what are the duties required in the sixth commandment not to murder? And here's what it says. Quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, charitable thoughts, peaceable and courteous speech, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing. Austin put those things in the newsletter this week. Those are in great need right now. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, the idea of 
having charitable thoughts, being peaceable and courteous in your speech and forbearing and ready to reconcile and patient. That's all part of the command not to murder. That's all part of not harming people, of loving people. And so every, what I'm saying is every commandment has a deeper dimension to it uh, beneath just the thou shalt not, the letter of the law. There's something deep down. And the, and the last commandment, and this is the commandment that Paul realized uh, that really got him. You know, at one point in his life, he thought he was basically keeping all the commandments. And you might think that too, like I basically keep the commandments. And then Paul said, this last commandment is the one I realized I could not keep. And that is thou shalt not covet. That's not so much an exterior action, but an interior attitude. I cannot tell right now if any of you are coveting. I could tell if you murdered someone or if you committed adultery, if you stole, I could tell that. But you could be coveting right now like crazy and I would never know. Nobody would know. Coveting is a deep inner attitude. It's the last commandment. And what coveting means is you want something too much. You want somebody's something. Uh, you want even, you, you covet their job, you covet their wife, you covet their children, you covet their life. Uh, it's, it's wanting something too much. It's not being content. Uh, and it, it tears up. Uh, relationships to covet things. It creates jealousy. It creates envy. Uh, it can lead to other more explicit sins like adultery. And uh, what Paul is saying is that these invisible attitudes create damage, tear apart relationships. And so love, love is, is, is what is behind all of this, is, is seeking the well-being of other people, of the community, of, of, of the city. And un deep underneath all of these different commandments is, uh, is, the, is my favorite chapter in the Bible, uh, which is 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've ever seen The Office, if you'd like that TV show, um, the scene where uh, Pam and Jim get married, uh, it's the only, uh, there's two episodes I've seen, that one and the first one. Uh, so I wish, I, I love the ones I saw. I wish I had seen more. I plan to one day if I can get Netflix, but... In the, in the scene where Pam and Jim get married, uh, the pastor reads 1 Corinthians 13. And so um, several couples who I have married have asked me, you know, could you read 1 Corinthians 13? Could you preach on that at our wedding? And I, I always say, you know, it would be a lot easier on you if I just read the Ten Commandments because that's a heck of a lot easier than 1 Corinthians 13 because people think 1 Corinthians 13 is like something that you stitch on a pillow or you put on a wall on an inspirational poster. But if you think about what it's saying, uh, what it's saying is much, much harder than the keeping the Ten Commandments. It's the deep inner attitude behind the Ten Commandments. It's like the molten lava core of the earth. That is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable, it is not resentful. And notice those are not indicatives. Uh, the point is not that Paul is saying you ought to be patient, you ought to be kind, you ought not to envy, although that is true. But what he's saying is that love is those things. It's just a statement of fact. That is what love is. And later on in that chapter, Paul says that when 
the perfect reality comes of love, all the partial things that are not love will be done away with. In other words, that love is the final reality. That's really what 1 Corinthians 13 is saying, is that love is these things, is patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not irritable, not resentful. And that is what is going to take over the world one day. And that leads to the second point, which is that love is the final reality. And we need to get in touch with the final reality because it is coming. It is at hand. So imagine that you're living in, in Paris in 1944 under the, uh, the Nazi regime, the Vichy regime, when the Nazis controlled France. And you see off in the distance the uh, fires of the Allied camps, the armies of the Allies, the British, the Americans, uh, the French. And you realize, you know, they're about to take over Paris and the Nazis are about to fall. And so I've got to change my actions because there's a new regime coming. And so I've got to stop saying Heil Hitler. I've got to get rid of the swastika. I've got to change the way that I act because a new regime is coming. And what Paul is saying is that there is a new reality. There's a new rule. There's a new kingdom that is coming. And that kingdom is a kingdom of love. And Paul says it's on the horizon. The night is far gone. Verse 12, the day is at hand. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. That, that means the regime is already coming. You can kind of see it off in the distance. Like the sun right now. Like those, those clouds that are red. It's coming. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in quarreling and jealousy in verse 13. And what he means is in the new regime of love, when the light shines in the daytime, uh, quarreling and jealousy are very awkward and, and they're, they're disgraceful. They're out of place. They make no sense. It's like wearing pajamas to a business lunch or slippers to a cocktail party. Paul's saying in, in the light of the new coming reality of love, all of your quarreling is senseless. It's absurd. It's like socially awkward in a way. It's bizarre behavior. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, verse 11. That means wake up to the reality that love will be that which lasts forever. Again, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's not here at all. It's right there. You can see it. It's coming. You know that they're going to win. The forces of love are going to win over the forces of hate. So why are you quarreling? Why are you making these morally superior political pronouncements? All of us do that. Why do we do that? They, they are pathetic and they're silly in, in, the, in the light of love. Someone texted me this week. They said one of the best witnesses the church can provide right now after this election is, is demonstrating the ability for a group of people with different political views to still exist in harmony. I mean, that is, uh, Biden's speech epitomized that. Someone was telling me what he said. It's exactly what he's talking about that if we can live in political harmony um, as a community in a way the world is not doing, then we can demonstrate that the, the reality of love is going to win one day. And love is real. And it's right there on the horizon. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Citizens of Crete, speak evil of no one. Avoid, avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all. Can you imagine if Christians obeyed Paul's commandments and that that is the way that our rhetoric was described by people who were not in the church 
Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all. What if we... And what if we live like that? Uh, somebody posted a video and, and Austin put it on the, um, on the newsletter. And in the video basically said, um, our violent political discourse is modeling a way of dealing with conflict that is shaping neural pathways in the minds of our youth who are hearing us and imitating our behavior. So you realize when you say these things, when you post these things, it's affecting a community. It's affecting your children. It's affecting other people's children. The way we talk. The way we think about other people. And so, we, you know, there's a time for, um, for outrage over injustice. But you've got to ask yourself, is the post that I'm about to make compatible with a reign of love? Or is this tweet that I'm about to send out going to make sense in the presence of the Lamb of God? who's coming to reign. You know, on Wednesday, uh, January 20th, there are going to be 7,000 employees in Washington that are fired and will leave, and 7,000 plus will be hired and come in as a new administration comes into that city. It's not just the president. It's thousands of people who come with him. And I know that that might be of concern to some of us, some of you, might be concerned about that, who these people are, who the people that are leaving, the difference that's going to happen there. And so I can, I can assure you, if you're concerned about that, that you don't need to be afraid because there will be no lasting transfer of power in this universe. There will be only one transfer of power that will ever take place. And that is when those, those clouds that are red come streaming in and take over the world. Actually, right now, those, those are going away. So it would be better if this was 5 a.m. Um, but that's what Paul's talking about when he says in verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. I mean, the most spectacular run I've ever had in my life is when I was in uh, Hawaii and I ran uh, up this Diamond Head crater uh, in Honolulu and it was 5 a.m. and it was pitch black except for just like, it was just like fire, these like little streaks of fire. And they were over palm trees that were swaying over the Pacific Ocean. It was just gorgeous. And that's what we are living in. Those are the times we're living in where our, the king of love is coming. And it's already bringing a little bit of light here. So it's not like it's not here at all, but it's, it's going to break soon. It's going to break. And, and the king that is coming is patient and he's kind. So when you, when you read love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, put the name of the king there. The king is patient. The king is kind. The king did not envy when he was on earth. He did not boast when he was on earth. The king is not arrogant, and he will not be rude. And the king does not insist on his own way. And the king is not irritable. And the king does not resent anyone. And this is the meal of that king that we're going to partake in. And as we take it, if you take it, you're saying, I am one of the subjects of the king of love. And that is the way I will live my life. As failingly as I live it, as much as I slip into hate, that's going to be the marker of my life. <laughs>